Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Welcome back. Oh, we took a little bit of a break because, hey, it is April. April is Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month, and that is a very busy time for us and in the best way. So we've been to a lot of places speaking out, speaking up, and just calling other voices to the table. And I am really excited to have this guest. This is the voice that you need. This is the voice of the times, Sheila Gregoire. She is the author of a newly released book. I just finished reading it this morning. It is seriously, I want everybody listening to get this. And I don't always say that, but I truly mean it. (laughs) It's called She Deserves Better, Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Sex, Self, and Speaking Up. Welcome. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Good. Well, I know you have also had a very busy month. You're you're launching your book. And not only that, but you give of yourself so much online. I appreciate just your voice. A lot of times when there's something crazy happening in our culture, specifically like Christian culture or just, you know, the modesty messages that are out there, people doing really stupid stuff. I just immediately go to your Twitter feed and see what you have to say. <laughs> So yes. thank you for being a voice everywhere and basically <laughs> on demand. <laughs> it, it does take up an awful lot of time, but you know, it's fun. And I just think I have changed my views on so many things just by listening to people. I think Ugh. more people should, if you're going to write in this, in this space, you need to be on social media and interacting with people. Wow. That's a really great way to put it. And I mean, all of our listeners, I think they know how much I have evolved in my own faith and just my own theology and beliefs and different things like that over the course of the last 20 years of speaking about sexual abuse. Um, But that's where it comes from, is listening to people, is listening to real stories, to listening and sitting alongside marginalized folks. And what is their story? What, What story have they been told? What toxic teachings have they heard that have sort of caused a lot of pain and hurt. And truly, Sheila, that's what I wanted you to talk about today, (laughs) which is what your book is all about. But you talk a lot about bad fruit. And I Mm -hmm. think that's so powerful because it's like, that's what Jesus told us to look for was the good fruit and the bad fruit. And truly the modesty message, the modesty Mm -hmm. message from the purity culture is what has become bad fruit for our current times. It has hurt us. It has truly caused trauma. Um, Mary and I, we lead um, support groups for survivors online. It's a virtual support group. And people come from all over. These survivors of sexual abuse, they meet. And so often we're talking about two things side by side. It's the trauma caused by the abuse. And for many, the majority of the survivors, it is also the trauma caused from the church and the church teaching these kinds of messages. And so we're untangling both at the same time. So I wondered if we can just maybe start there. Like, what do you think has been the most problematic and maybe even traumatic from the message of modesty in the church in the last 20, 30 years? Yeah. So for our project, we, we did decide to take Jesus at his word. You know, I know that's radical, but he did, <laughs> he did say that a bad tree can't bear good fruit and a good tree can't bear bad fruit. And so you're supposed to judge things by their fruit. And that's what hasn't been done hmm. really. Um, you know, when purity culture came in, 
around the mid 90s, a lot of these teachings became mainstream. It's not that they weren't there before. And those teachings were very much there in pockets of, of evangelicalism, but they became mainstream in the mid 90s, all the way to probably about 2015. But even even now, they're still there, just they use different words. Mm. Um, and everyone thought this is the way this is what is great. This is how we're going to make sure that kids end up at the altar as virgins, because that was the only fruit that mattered. Are they virgins on their wedding day? Mm. I have two adult daughters, both of whom are now married. And I can tell you that on their wedding day, I was not thinking about whether or not they were virgins. I was just thanking <laughs> God that they were marrying men who were not abusers and that yeah. I could feel safe with. Like that yeah. was my main thing. Right. Okay. Right. Um, my main concern was, are they going to have safe? Are they going to be safe? Mm-hmm. Are they going to have good marriages? Are they going to have good a good life where they can serve God wholeheartedly mm. and not be hindered by a bad relationship? Mm. But we didn't measure that in purity culture. All we cared about is, are they going to stay virgins? And Mm. so what we're inviting people to do, and she deserves better, is ask the bigger questions about what this did. So we surveyed 7,000 women, Mm -hmm. predominantly evangelical, and we said, hey, here's a whole bunch of beliefs. Did you believe these as a teenager? Do you believe them now? And then we asked about their self-esteem. We asked about their family dynamics, asked about their marriages today, if they're married, and all kinds of different questions. So we were able to tease out a lot of stuff. And what I can tell you is the modesty messages are traumatic. Mm. Very, very traumatic. Do you remember, I think it was like two summers ago, maybe three summers ago now, time goes so fast these days, but when um, uh, Matthew West came out with that Modest is Hottest song. Oh, yeah. And the whole world just went, what are you doing? And it hit like, it hit. (laughs) But as they should have, that's what I love about it. And that's what I love about (laughs) you is like, we're not just letting people say what they think anymore. Like this Mm -hmm. is a problem. And thank God people are saying something now. Yeah, because they wouldn't have like five years earlier, they wouldn't have. But that song, like there was so there was so much outrage. It hit like the mainstream media and he eventually took the song down. But what was interesting was there was a conversation he had with Ali Beth Stuckey on a podcast a couple of weeks after he took it down. And they were talking about this whole thing. And their conclusion was that a lot of victims of assault were traumatized by the assault. And so they were reacting out of trauma to these modesty messages. So Mm. they were blaming assault victims for having this this trauma reaction. That's not what's going on. Right. We know now from our data that the problem is not that sexual assault survivors are just being triggered. The problem is that the modesty messages themselves were both traumatic and made it more likely that girls would be abused. Hmm. And that's a that's an important distinction. Yeah. So here's here's how they were traumatic. Um, we measured four different iterations of the modesty message because we wanted to really drill down on this. So um, boys are visual in a way that girls will never understand. Boys can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's trying to incite it. Mm. Uh, girls have a responsibility not to be stumbling blocks for the boys around them with what they wear. And uh, a girl who is dressed immodestly is worse than a girl who isn't. And we let the reader, the survey taker decide what worst meant, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, those were all terrible. Like if a girl believes that as a teenager, her long-term, she suffers. The ones that were the worst were the ones about boys. The boys Mm -hmm. have this visual nature and the boys can't help but lust. When a girl believes those things, she is 52% more likely to experience vaginismus, which is a sexual dysfunction disorder as an adult. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And evangelicals suffer from that at two and a half times the rate of the general population already. Incredible. This is one of the major reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, she is 68% more likely to marry an abuser. Mm. She is 30% more likely to have long-term negative self-esteem. Mm. This hurts girls. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about that, I keep hearing, but what about the boys? Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, but what about the boys? Don't girls, girls need to know that what they're wearing has such an impact on the boys. I'm like, no. Okay. 52% more likely to have sexual pain. 68% more likely to marry an abuser. Let's start asking about the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Because so much of this message is just propping up a need to protect boys to um, raise up powerful men who can't ever, you know, be taken down. It's always the girl's fault. And this is Mm -hmm. a message that it it not only hurts girls and women, but it hurts boys and men too. And I know this book that you wrote was meant for moms and girls and their daughters, but as a mom of three boys, I found it just as helpful in raising Mm -hmm. them without these types of messages. Yeah, I'm glad. We'll probably eventually do one for guys, but we just felt, you know, it's women who suffered from these messages and we kind of want it to be a book where women can reparent themselves. Like this is what little 15 yes. should have been told, you know? Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. Sheila, that is what I kept thinking as I was reading through this. That's one of the major components to our support group is reparenting the little version of us. And as I was reading, She Deserves Better, I just kept feeling like that's actually what I'm doing right now. Like listening to you deconstruct these messages that were so harmful and they felt so big and so true because of how I was brought up. Mm -hmm. Um, But to look at it through really sound surveys and statistics and just really clear language, I felt like I was just freer. The little one inside of me was like, relearning the way that she should have heard these messages because I knew I had a voice in me and I just didn't know how to speak back to the toxic teachings. And this book is what really helped me to feel like I was doing that again. It was really, really cool and powerful. Yeah. So I think it was, it's healing for a survivor to read these things and to understand it. But I also felt like, wow, this is also how we can learn to parent our young men to help them to resist it as well, that they need it too. So the cover's pink. It's about <laughs> girls and women, but I felt like, shoot, you could have just thrown on, you know, any yeah. color and, and talked about it in, for all genders. And it, it is really helpful. And one thing that you mentioned in the book was that researchers have kind of indicated that dress codes end up sexualizing the teens that they're actually designed to protect. Mm-hmm. I thought that's so profound because there's so much old thinking, especially in Christian institutions and, you know, children being raised in Christian schools that, you know, they're upholding all of these teachings in a way that they think they're protecting, but mm-hmm. they're really harming. Well, okay. When my youngest was 11, her Sunday school teacher came to her and said, you're going to have to watch what you wear now that your chest is developing because men are going to look at your chest. And she was absolutely traumatized. She was like, I don't want to go to church. Like it was, it was a difficult time because that's disgusting thinking that out men are going to be checking out her chest. What that was doing, what that teacher was doing was it was ascribing 
you know, sexual motives and sexual intentions on my daughter when she wasn't thinking about that at all. And so telling a little girl that because you have a body, people mm. will see you as a sexual being is really traumatic. And when we give dress codes to kids that say, you need to not show this part of your body because it could sexually arouse people or it could, it could cause a teacher, especially we hear that all the time in Christian schools, oh. you need to think about your teachers. Um, I, if my teacher has a problem with, you know, my child, my child should not be in that teacher's class. Yeah, that's right. And again, why isn't that what we're thinking first, right? Yes. Like, like if someone, if an adult man says that 12 year old is causing me to stumble, why is our reaction to give the 12 year old a sweater and mm. not to freak out on the adult man? Right. Right. Because that is a child. And when we, when we perpetuate this notion that this is just how men are, that men are visual and men can't mm. help but lust, then we're telling girls and women that the world is unsafe for you. That's right. Yep. You can never expect a man to actually want to know you. Any man will only ever objectify you. And if you're lucky, they may also love you, but they will objectify you first and foremost. Mm. As opposed to saying, hey, you know what? Men have the Holy Spirit just as much as women do. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Men are more than capable of treating you like a whole person and respecting you. And if you are with a boy or a man who doesn't, that's a red flag that they mm -hmm. aren't safe. Mm -hmm. It's not just a sign that they're a man. Yes. And Sheila, you bring up so many good points. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> I mean, just that alone, I'm thinking on two sides of it. One, these are actual messages that weren't just like, you know, handed down from our grandmothers and our grandfathers. These are current day writers mm -hmm. who are sharing these kinds of messages. And I, and I do invite you to share even some of the recent ones. Um, but also I think it, it talks to you about what, what are we allowing to continue, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of who are we protecting here and why are we making it so hard for girls to grow up in this world and just be who they are? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, let me, let me give you one of the worst examples. This, this one was really tough. You know, my daughter, Rebecca is one of the co-authors on she deserves better. She's 28 years old. So she's a millennial. I'm a Gen X. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't grow up with modesty rules. Like we never talked about this. We really didn't. Christianity for us was about missions and sharing your testimony and winning yeah. your school for Christ and let's be prayer warriors. And then somehow everything changed and Christianity just became about sex mm. for teenagers. Like don't have mm -hmm. it. Don't think about it. Be modest. Be careful of the boys. Um, you need to you need to protect the boys. Uh and that's what my daughter grew up in, whereas I didn't. So it was so much worse for her. And so she wrote the modesty chapter and um when she read it on the audio version and she couldn't get through it without crying, mm. mostly because of what I'm about to tell you. Mm -hmm. So there's a curriculum that I actually bought for my two daughters when they were 12 and 10 called Secret Keeper Girl by Dana Gresh. Mm -hmm. And it was a series of eight dates that moms are supposed to have with their daughters. And in the first one, you were supposed to get these China teacups and a ceramic mug and a styrofoam cup. And I was all excited because I have like these 50s teacups from my grandmother. So I thought, oh, this is such a good, good thing. We can use family heirlooms. Yeah. So 
So I got them out and we start working through it. And one of the first questions you ask your daughter is, do you know any friends who treat themselves more like a styrofoam cap? Like they're trashable with the thing, with the way that they wear the TV shows they watch or the music they listen to. And I immediately stopped what we were doing because I'm like, we are not going to do an exercise where I'm inviting you to think of which of your friends is the trashiest. Like that is not okay. Mm-mm. And at that point, we had a lot of kids from the neighborhood who didn't have great parents who were hanging out at our house all the time. And we were just loving on them. And I did not want my kids to think of them as trashy because that's they wore right. Spice Girls t-shirts. Like that's disgusting. Yes. Oh my gosh. So we got rid of that curriculum, but we still mm. had it. And so when we were doing the research for this, we pulled it back out. And we looked at her modesty rules and she had, they were very problematic on so many levels. Um, But she had one that was called the raise and praise test. So you were supposed to lift your arms up in the sky and you needed to make sure that no belly was showing. And here's why. And I quote, because bellies are intoxicating. And then she has a script that of a conversation that mothers are supposed to have with their daughters. Do you remember what intoxicating means? It's like when you're under anesthetic for dental work or when you're drunk and get out of control. And isn't it wonderful that God created our bodies to intoxicate men? But you're only supposed to intoxicate one man, your future husband. And so you need to cover up so you don't intoxicate others. She literally told girls as young as eight years old that their belly has the power to make an adult man out of control. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm. And nobody said anything. Mm. I'm sorry. I get (laughs) this stuff. Well, and I'm glad you do because again, I mean, most of our listeners are survivors of sexual abuse. And this is a message, you know, many of us go to churches hoping to find healing and, and um, a safe place for our stories to be held and cherished. And um, then you have messages that kind of say you were asking for it Mm -hmm. or that you maybe somehow deserved it because of what you were wearing. Mm -hmm. That is such an outdated idea. And I'm sure that the author would never say that to a survivor, but the message overall tells a survivor that exact message. And that shame has long-term consequences, long-term consequences. The yeah. shame of feeling like you, it's something about your body, something about the way that you walked into a room, something about how you portrayed yourself, what you wore you know, why you trusted somebody, you know, any of that stuff Mm -hmm. to say to yourself, that message says to yourself that I somehow deserved it, that I asked for it, that I should have known better. But at eight years old, inviting a man Mm -hmm. to feel that way about you is not okay. And that is a shame message that we have to break. Yeah, absolutely. And what we found is that girls who grew up in churches where this stuff was taught were far more likely to be victims of assault Mm. and abuse. And it makes sense why, because in a church which teaches, you know, all men lust, it's every man's battle. Mm. This is the way that God made men to be visual. Um, Men are programmed to linger in and take in women's great bodies. And so women, we need to protect the men around us. Um, We need to protect our girl or we need to make sure that our girls are protecting the boys. That is the kind of church that abusers are going to gravitate to. That's right. Yes. Because 
they're going to be safe there. They're not going to be blamed. That's mm. also the kind of church that will enable abuse and mm. will groom future abusers because the boys will grow up feeling like nothing is my fault, um, that that it was her problem. And we see that in a lot of the literature. Um, let me give you another example. This one isn't about modesty. It's more about consent, but it, it's along the same lines. Mm-hmm. So Shanti Felton has a book called For Young Women Only. Um, which was based on surveys that she did of teenage boys. And I'm about mm-hmm. to tell you a statistic. Okay. Her her survey, this this particular survey question was completely terribly worded. The possible answers that the boys had to choose from were completely awfully worded. And the way that she analyzed the results was wrong. So I do not believe the stat, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to tell you what she said. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 82% of boys feel little, feel either little ability or little responsibility to stop in a makeout situation. Mm. And then her conclusion to all of this in big, bold letters was, if you want to stop, it's safest to not even start. Yikes. Sheila, this is a message that's still in the church. I have had people tell me, you know, the boys will be boys and Mm -hmm. that it is a truly still a common misconception that a man cannot stop once he started. That's How right. in this year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2023, are we mm-hmm. still believing that biological BS? Yeah. How? Let me let me just let me share another stat with you. Okay. 100 percent of men have the ability to stop. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Great. statistics will set us free and when when we say when we say that boys can't stop what we're what we are actually saying is that a boy can't help but rape you Mm. and i think we need to start using the proper language yeah i do too i do too do we honestly believe that boys can't help but rape you Mm. and i'm not saying that boys, some boys aren't dangerous, not at all, but we need to change the conversation. Like what I would say to both boys and girls is something more like this. You know what? Totally normal to have sexual feelings. God made you to be a sexual being. Um, When you're with someone that you're really attracted to, you're naturally going to want to make out with them, could even want to have sex with them. That's normal. You know, I would rather that you didn't. Here's why. Here's why I hope that you wait. And so I think before you get in that situation, it's really important to figure out what your boundaries are and make a plan Mm -hmm. to how you're going to stick to those boundaries. But even more important than that, you need to honor the boundaries of the person you're with. And if you are ever with someone who doesn't honor your boundaries, that is a huge red flag that that person is not safe and that relationship is not safe. Mm -hmm. And that's the message that we need to be giving. Okay, I just wanted to pause a moment to tell you about this community called Unleash that we keep referring to. If it sounds like a secret club, that's because it is. But if you're a survivor of childhood sexual abuse or sexual abuse or sexual trauma of any kind, you are personally invited. Unleash is an eight-week e-course. It features film, storytelling, personal contemplation exercises, and my favorite part, a safe online space where we meet virtually in small support group settings led by myself and other trauma experts where we openly discuss this lifelong journey of healing from sexual abuse. It's kind of like a book club, but like a really precious one, (laughs) a place where questions are welcome and your story, as much as you feel comfortable sharing, is safe. 
Maybe you've experienced some healing, but you long to be unleashed. I hope you'll consider joining us. Each group is limited to eight survivors. So head over to our registration page now and grab a seat. The website is imonevoice.org slash unleash. And by the way, if you aren't interested in the support group part, but you want to just work through the videos and the ebook content at your own pace, we have that option too. It's right there on the website as well. This road of healing can feel pretty long, but we don't have to walk it alone. That's why we're here. And I hope you'll join us at one of our upcoming groups. More info at imonevoice.org slash unleash. You know, I've said for years and years that, you know, talking to your kids about all of these things is so important. That is the key to prevention of sexual abuse mm-hmm. is talking to your children about sex. Talk to your mm-hmm. kids about red flags. Talk to your kids about consent as early as you can. Yeah. Those are keys to prevention because like you said, girls deserve it. Girls hey. deserve language to be able to explain and they deserve the education. Do you know the the book series, Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus? I don't. For toddlers? Yeah. Okay. Um, yes. If you are a toddler mom, go buy all the pigeon books. The don't, okay. it, it's, it's teaching consent to little kids. It's Aww. it's amazing. Okay. Don't let the okay. pigeon drive the bus. It just, Got yes, it. my own That's personal. So good. Yeah. You want to know, you touched on two other points of education for kids in your book that I found really helpful. Um, one was period embarrassment. Mm -hmm. And the other was arousal non-concordance. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but what you said about period embarrassment was very interesting to me. I want to find it real quick. Um, Because no one really talks about that. Oh, especially the part where you said these girls were also 70% more likely to be in an abusive marriage than girls who did not find their periods embarrassing. Yeah. Did you find that interesting? Yeah, we were yeah. we were quite blown away by how strong the correlation was. Now, we don't believe that period embarrassment causes someone to marry an abuser. There's 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 a third thing going on. Okay. Um, but period embarrassment is a sign of that other thing. And that other thing is just um feeling shame about your body, feeling disconnected, feeling like I am the problem, right? Like if you're embarrassed of your period, you're really saying I am a problem. What my body is doing is a problem, you know, and and that really translates into I am a problem. And when you believe that, it's very likely that you're going to marry someone who agrees with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, you are the problem. Um, And that's how things can get abusive. And so it's just so important, you know, to Mm -hmm. raise our girls with, yeah, you know what? Periods are normal. And raise our boys to realize that too. Like yeah. teach your boys from a young age what girls are going through so that if a girl doesn't want to go swimming, he's not going to be constantly teasing her. You know? Right. right. Totally. Like remember when you're 12 and 13 and there's a pool party and you're like, <laughs> no, I just don't feel like going in today. Everyone's like, oh, come on. And it's like, no, I just don't feel like, you know, <laughs> like, like don't let, your, don't let your son be one of the the people who is teasing the girl. In fact, let your son be the kind of person who will tell his friends to stop teasing her. That's right. You know, that's right. Um, but we just, this is just a part of life. Every woman does this. It isn't a big deal. You know, don't keep the tampons and pads hidden from your boys or from their dad. 
Um, it just needs to be, I'm not saying everyone needs to announce, Hey, my period started today. Like, I'm not, like we don't need to be like that. But... Well, no, but based on my attitude, but yeah, right. yeah really. That's funny. And this it is a disgusting story. But recently one of my boys was like, mom, did you put a tea bag in the toilet? <laughs> so I was like, that's a tampon. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. So no period embarrassment here. Don't worry about us, Sheila. Yeah. No, that's great. Cause that's, but you know, when girls feel like, no, my body, this is just normal. This is not a big deal. It's just that's normal. Right. It really does help them long-term. So, mm, um, yeah. so I think Education embarrassment, yeah, it's just a sign that you feel like there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Mm-hmm. The arousal non-concordance is really important. Yeah. I think this yeah, is, I think this was, it is. And it's not only key for young girls and boys growing up it's key for sexual abuse survivors it understanding the fact that our bodies can be aroused even if our mind doesn't want it mm-hmm. that understanding for a sexual abuse survivor who feels guilt and shame over what happened not wanting that thing to happen but their body reacting to it is so important to healing because when you understand arousal non-concordance for me, that was truly the key. I didn't have a word for what it was, but that understanding how my body reacted, my body wasn't betraying me. Yeah. That's what I always thought. I thought mm-hmm. I must be the most disgusting person on this planet. My body betrayed me when my sec- my stepfather sexually abused me. Yeah. But when I understood that's how God made our bodies, mm-hmm. he betrayed me, not God. My stepfather betrayed me by what he did, yeah. not my body. That was one of the most freeing, most healing parts of my healing journey so far. So mm-hmm. Sheila, if you could even just explain that a little bit in terms of raising our daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So basically there are two elements to desire. There's mm-hmm. the mental desire where like, yes, I want this. This is awesome. And then there's the physical arousal where you're lubricated, um, you know, things feel good, etc. And the thing is, those can be very out of whack. Now in marriage, mm. uh, what often happens is you have the mental desire, but the physical desires are kicking in and that's frustrating. So, you know, sometimes it can be frustrating where you want to get turned on, but there's too many things going on in your head and it just doesn't work. But we can also have it the other way where we're actually horrified about what's going on, but our body starts to respond. And yeah. when our body responds, we can think, well, this means that I wanted it, mm-hmm. but actually the body and the mind can be quite disconnected. Mm-hmm. And when we're in trauma, we often hear the fight or flight response, right? For women, there's other responses that are actually more common. There's the freeze response where you just don't do anything. And the fawn response where you just try to make nice and, mm-hmm. uh, to put yourself in, you know, to, to make it so that your attacker isn't as likely to hurt you. And those, both of those responses are more common for women. And when the trauma part of your brain is activated, it's not uncommon for there to be heightened arousal in all areas of your body. You know, your heart rate goes up, like all of these things. And so it's actually easier often to get physically aroused. And some people have even posited that perhaps one of the reasons that we're created that way, and what I'm about to say may sound triggering, and I'm I'm, I'm sorry if it does, but is that if you are a little bit lubricated, sexual assault isn't going to hurt you quite as badly. 
you know, I, I mean, it's a horrible thing to think about, but it does, it can protect you a little bit. Now, obviously for not all women, Physically. many, many, yes, yes, exactly. And many women, they didn't get aroused and they were very uh, physically hurt by sexual assault. So I'm not, again, I'm, I'm sorry, this is such a difficult thing to talk about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but arousal non-concordance, the main thing I want you to take away is that arousal non-concordance is a real thing. And just because you got aroused does not mean you wanted it. There's right. a story that we share in the book that an author actually wrote in her book, and we're not going to name the author, um, but she's telling a story of when she lost her purity um, as a teenager. And she tells the story where uh, he was like, she froze. He was doing things that she didn't want to do. Um, He was forcing her. She felt like a deer in the headlights, but then he awakened desires in her that she didn't know about. And Mm -hmm. she lost her purity. Now, if you think about that, she's admitting that she said no. Yeah. She's saying he was forcing her. Mm -hmm. She's the deer in the headlights. That describes the freeze trauma response. That's right. Yeah. But because she got aroused, she portrays this as her sin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then she built a whole ministry on this. Oh, wow. And you wonder how much of her ministry came out of a trauma response. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. what she's describing is classic date rape. Uh, absolutely. And it's also classic trauma responsive, talking yourself into it not being as bad as it was. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and this is so common. And we heard from so many women with, with virtually identical stories or women who said, you know, I said, no, he kept pushing past my no. I kept saying no, he kept pushing yeah. past my no. And eventually I just stopped saying no, because I realized my no didn't mean anything. Mm. And they felt like, like they had consented, but no, you hadn't. Right. Exactly. <laughs> he hadn't listened to your no. And she was trying to keep herself safe. Yeah. Which Consent wasn't retrospect. So... That's the right thing to do. You know, yeah. like, like you kept yourself safe. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're still here, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that, and, and yes, the trauma is there, but like, that wasn't you that did that. Yeah, it wasn't you that did that. Um, I also think mm-hmm. arousal non-concordance is really important to understand in the porn um, in the porn scenario because so many kids, like both boys and girls, let's say you're 10, 11 years old and a friend shows you porn mm-hmm. um, and you're horrified, like you're really grossed out, you're you're shocked. It can be quite traumatic to see pornography, especially with so much of it that's violent, mm-hmm. but you feel yourself getting aroused. Mm-hmm. And so you think, oh, I must like this. I must be a freak. And right. so when we can talk to our little kids about how, hey, you know what? There are some pictures that are out there and they're designed to make you turned on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you get turned on by them, that's not a big deal. The point is, you know, you it doesn't mm-hmm. just because you're turned on doesn't mean that you like it and doesn't mean that you're a pervert or doesn't mean that you're a freak or doesn't mean any of those things. Mm-hmm. You can see something, get turned on, but be horrified and say, you know what? That is just not for me. And then turn it off. Cause a lot of times kids return to porn out of trauma responses to try to work out what happened to them. And if they, if we just free them and tell them, Hey, <laughs> you know, arousal, not concordance is a thing. Your body can get aroused when your mind isn't, you know, go with what your mind is saying. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So many things to teach our young ones and ourselves, you know, even as adults Mm -hmm. to reparent, like you said, but the key with consent, I think is, is understanding 
especially for really conservative families, that this isn't something that's like setting kids up for like unhealthy relationships or to like then dive into sex or anything like that. Yeah. I think there's, you know, I speak at quite a few Christian schools and there's a lot of pushback on, you know, what are you going to talk about and how far are you going to go? And what are you going to do? We haven't even done sex ed yet. So now we're going to talk mm-hmm. about sexual abuse and, but like understanding that ignorance about these issues does not help in any way. No. That's it right. only harms. It, it further harms girls and sets them up for vulnerabilities. So, you know, I think telling more information or or even bad information is better than no information at all. Would you agree? Yeah. And that's actually what our data found. So we gave um, girls or women who took our survey a list of 10 words that had to do with sex ed. And we said, how many of these could you define at the point where you graduated high school? Mm. Um, the more words you knew, the better you did long-term. Like there was no downside to more information. We also asked if they had a robust understanding of consent. Only 26% did at the point where they graduated high school. We asked if they could recognize date rape. Um, We looked at how their parents handled the puberty discussion. And basically, again, the more information, the better you do. The fewer people have, the fewer your likelihood of having multiple sexual partners, Mm -hmm. the less likelihood you are of marrying an abuser, um, the higher your self-esteem, the better your sex life once you are married. Like there is no downside Mm. to sharing information with our kids. And girls, here's a little tidbit. Um, Women were more likely to know the words for male anatomy when they graduated high school than they were to know female anatomy. So they were more likely to know the word scrotum than the word vulva or clitoris. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah. You know, I had, I had a comment from a woman after she read, she deserves better. And, and she said she wished that her parents had told her about different sex acts. Like she knew what sex was, but she didn't know what oral sex was. She didn't know these other things. And so her things that her abuser did to her weren't actual intercourse. It was other things, but she thought I'm the only one that's ever done this. And so she didn't have words for it. Like she couldn't explain it. But if she had known that this is a common way that people abuse others, then she could have said something. Absolutely. And predators know that they know exactly how to groom a vulnerable one, an an educated one, one Mm -hmm. who has a family who doesn't ever talk about this stuff. So they don't have language to, to be able to explain what's happening to them. And then we're also watching when we have people who are calling other girls trashy, you know, so that's a person I don't, I won't go to with my story. That's someone I don't trust because they're judging everyone else based on these things. So now we don't even have safe people in the church to talk to Mm -hmm. because of, of the way that they view other girls. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the more, um, the more sex ed words, you know, as well, the less likely you were to have been harassed or abused uh, as a teenager. Is that right? So it just, it protects you. And I think part of it is, you know, it gives you a confidence and predators mm. tend to choose the girls that, that have yeah. lower confidence, which yeah. is tragic in and of itself. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, one more thing. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Sheila. I know it's been a rough month, but boundaries. Oh my gosh. We love talking about boundaries. Um, but I found it really cool that you brought that into the conversation here 
with your book, She Deserves Better. Because mm-hmm. truly, this is something that no one really talked about when I grew up in conservative church. Um, they talked a lot about putting yourself last and basically being a martyr for everyone else and their problems, which set me up. And I see it all the time, mm-hmm. especially with young women, young adult women, and even women my age. You know, I'm in my 40s and I see it with a lot of my friends too, where you feel like you have to be at everyone else's disposal. Mm-hmm. And it sets us up for codependency. It sets us up for being sucked into everyone else's problems and the things that we should be prioritizing in our lives take a back seat. And this is something that we truly are being taught in this culture. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about just, I don't know, your favorite part about that. It just, it reached into so many areas, yeah. but I just think that is something I really want to teach my boys. And Oh, all the girls that are in my life that I care about, young women, to understand that's not your job. It's not your job to respond to every single text or to be at everyone's beck and call when they have problems. Mm-hmm. It sucks the life out of us. And it's not yeah. what Jesus called us to. No, exactly. You think about how many girls, you know, you'll have that one socially awkward friend who is just texting you at all hours. Hey, what are you doing? At the same time as you're really trying to get a term paper done or, you know, you're just having fun watching a movie with your family. And it's like, I don't want to talk right now, but you can't say that because that would be mean. And if you do try to turn, like to to talk to her less often, then she starts threatening suicide or something. Mm-hmm. And so many of our girls are in these, these relationships. They don't know how to get out of. They and are, they're told, right. but you need to be nice because she needs Jesus. You might be the only Jesus that she sees. Mm. So that's uh, where it comes from. Yeah. Mm. And so how how can she say no? How can she how can she put limits on it? I mean, Jesus gave everything for you. Why aren't you willing to give everything so that others can know him? And this is the kind of talk that we have in our brains and that we hear from our leaders. Um, but the thing is, Jesus walked away from so many people. Amen. Jesus did not heal everyone who needed healing. Jesus often walked away from the crowds. Um And when Mm -hmm. Jesus gave up everything, it was for a purpose. It was to bring others to God. It wasn't so that others could remain awkward and hurting (laughs) and hurting people. You know, it wasn't for that reason. And so Mm -hmm. it's okay for us Mm -hmm. to call out others and to want them to be better. Um, And to just say, I am, I am not willing, this is what I'm willing to do, but I'm not willing to do more because I can't, if I am also going to walk forward in things that God has called me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need to help our kids be empowered to do that. And that means finding their voices yeah. Um, so many girls feel like it's wrong to speak up. You know, mm-hmm. the, the girls talk too much. Girls are too, too easily deceived. Um, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. And so don't trust your feelings. And, and we get these messages constantly, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to start telling our girls, no, you're valuable. You matter. Yeah. Your thoughts matter. Your opinions mm-hmm. matter. Your well-being matters. And Jesus told us to love others as we love ourselves, not Mm -hmm. more than we love ourselves, not instead of loving ourselves as we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we can't love others unless we first care for ourselves. That's so good. And so we need a good message. We need to teach that to our daughters. And there's a ton of exercises in there about how to draw boundaries in difficult situations and how to to break up with a guy, how to turn guys down. It's really, really good. Really helpful. Very practical. I mean, I am seriously recommending this to all the moms in my life. I just think it's, 
It's just so hopeful. I mean, these are the questions that so many of my friends have as they're raising their girls. And your book just hits on every single one of the questions I've heard for a decade. So it's like, I feel like I've always been like the go-to person to like, hey, what about this or what about that? And now I can just hand them your book. I'm just so grateful <laughs> this book is out. Um, you actually mentioned something. We had Beth Allison Barr on the podcast in the past when she um, released The Making of Biblical Womanhood. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite um, episodes that we had. But you actually mentioned her in the book and you said that she ended her book by asking the question, what would happen if we all just stopped? Mm-hmm. And you noted that you know, women, though unwittingly, have often supported the structures that keep us girls small. And I just love that. Like, what if, what if we just stop the messaging? Because truly, you just mentioned, there's another messaging, and it comes straight from Jesus. Like, that's, it's not that we're giving up a message that's been a part of the church forever. It's, it's a, it's a manufactured message, and it's hurting people. So if we stop that, and we start doing the good work, um, recently, I'm going to, tell you a quick story before we kind of let go, but we were my small group from church and and you, you also talk about there's good fruit in, in having girls in church. Like it's not church that we're getting rid of church mm-hmm. actually creates a higher self-esteem for girls. It's the toxic messaging we have to get rid of. Mm-hmm. But so I'm in a small group and they wanted to read this book called captivating. <laughs> and I was so upset because I know the messaging in that book, but they really wanted to do it. And so I just kind of decided, all right, well, we'll just, I'm going to go and I'm going to just debate when I get there. And it was one time of going in, in the book, there was this story about, it was a military vet. I mean, there's tons of horrible mm-hmm. messaging in that book. Um, but there was this military vet, he was in the hospital and, um, he told the nurse, if you could just put on some lipstick, some lipstick for me. Italy. You know this story. <laughs> I was so appalled. And it ends by the woman putting on lipstick and the author writes, beauty heals. And I'm just thinking, well, she didn't want to put on lipstick for that man. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? That's not what her job is there for. She is a nurse. She's a medical professional. She's not yeah. there to perform some beauty for him. I was so appalled. So I brought that one specifically up, but many others. And I was so grateful that we did shut that book down. Good. But I think that that's a story that we have to do. And it was like, it was so much work on my part mm-hmm. of just preparing myself in a way to go to a group and to fight against something, to speak up. It's so much anxiety. And rather than going to a small group and just being fed and nourished and, you know, in mm-hmm. fellowship, it was different. But I think that your point comes across for me when I remember back to that, because that mattered. I had to show up. I have to sometimes carry the load to stop this messaging. We all have to. We mm-hmm. have to speak up against the systems that are upholding this toxic messaging so that our daughters don't grow up with the same kind of trauma from it that we did. Exactly. And yeah, like like we found church protects, church attendance protects, Mm. it raises the self-esteem. But as soon as girls internalize the toxic teachings, all of the benefits of church disappear. That's the key point. And the girls would have actually been better off if you measure in terms of marital and sexual satisfaction and self-esteem if they hadn't gone to church at all. Wow. And we don't want to raise our girls in that, in those spaces. And so speak up, get to know what's being taught in your youth group. 
And if they don't listen to you, and if it's not healthy, then it may be time to find a different church Mm -hmm. because not all churches are bad. Not all Christian spaces are bad, but a lot of conservative evangelical ones are. Yeah. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sheila. Thank you so much for all of the work and the effort that you have put into this messaging and for being bold enough to just say it, to say it like it is, to call it out when you see it. Um, I, I just really think you're a leading voice in this area and you're really preventing a lot of harm for next generation. And I'm, I'm truly grateful to you for that. So thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Yes. So everyone, please, I seriously mean it. I want all of our listeners to buy this book. She deserves better by Sheila Gregoire. Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with or a way to connect with you or find you? Yeah. So just go to baremarriage.com. B-A-R-E is my website. You'll find our Bear Marriage podcast. I blog all the time. All my social media links are there. I'm very active on Twitter and Instagram. Um, And our books are there. So she deserves better. Great sex rescue and all kinds of other things. So yeah, go check that out. Yes, please do. And thank you so much for your time today. It means a lot that you would come and share with us and our listeners. I know they're really going to love this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.